up, Radio World? Think about it. My name is Quincy. And this is my show, The Talk to Q Radio Show. We've all heard the term a quote-unquote black movie. But is that a necessary term? I've never referred to Thor or Mission Impossible as white movies. I don't even call Jurassic Park a dinosaur movie. So should movies predominantly that predominantly star black actors be categorized under their own genre? I mean, do the right thing. Does it belong on the same shelf as Pulp Fiction? The photograph is somehow a different genre than Sleepers in Seattle. Did it take Marvel Studios to make a movie called Black Panther in order to finally get some brothers and sisters on thousands of screens across the country? On this podcast, my guest, author Crystal Hickerson, and podcaster and newcomer to T2Q, Kaya Mim, will discuss the separation of black movies from mainstream. Black cinema, for us, by us, or should it be for everyone? We'll do a flashback 50 years through what we call black cinema. How did those black exploitation movies from the 70s pave the way for the movies we know as of today? So let me welcome on from the Motor City of Detroit, Crystal, and the Golden State of California, Kaya. How's it going? Hello. Hi. All right. Glad hello, to hello. Have I'm doing pretty good. Cool. And we'll go right, we'll jump right to it. All right. Um, I'll start with you first, Crystal. When did you, I guess, discover black cinema and what made you love it? When did you start to really appreciate it for what it was? Well, those are two different questions, Um, you know, needing two different answers. I discovered um, black cinema when I was um, a very young girl in the 70s with my mom who would (laughs) – we would go to the drive-in and to different movies, and we would watch Claudine, and we would also watch Death Witch, Wish over and over again. And I knew Death Witch was a little different than Claudine, but there was actually within the same genre of kind of a thriller, kind of a drama. And um, it really wasn't until I got older that I realized these were two different types of movies. And Mm -hmm. um, black cinema today or, you know, in the past or whatever, kind of just meant if there were black people in it and the focus was mainly uh, regarding a black cultural or idea or, or, you know, what black people went through, which is usually crime (laughs) related, um, then there was a, called the black cinema. So, yeah, <laughs> that was black cinema. And actually still today, it was, you know, it's black cinema. You know, it's ridiculous. Okay. And Kaya, with, um, I'm sorry, first of all, not to assume, uh, just so my listeners mm-hmm. can get a little background on you, you're considered, um, I guess, <laughs> yeah. a millennial. You would qualify as a millennial. I think so, yeah. I just made 30 this year in April, so I was born in 1990, okay. right on time. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, so in 1990, by that time, um, I think a lot of uh, black movies had ga- gained some momentum, and they were starting to be a lot bigger. Uh, so by the time yeah. I guess you got into it, you may have been, may have been a little older. But um, at what point did these movies kind of jump out to you. And I guess because you came along later, did you even look at them as mm-hmm. a quote-unquote black movie or was it just another movie to you? Well, growing up, um, I feel like at my household, my dad is, uh, he was born in 56, 56. And so he is very much a history buff and a movie buff like me. So growing up, he had us watch a lot of like old 
films and, of course, newer movies. Mm-hmm. I can remember watching, like, Friday for the first time when that came out, stuff like that. But I don't think I actually gained, as odd as this is, an actual, like, real understanding and appreciation for it until I was 16 and I was in high school and a guy that I dated had me watch, like, Juice, Minister Society, and a couple of, like, hardcore black films, Mm -hmm. and I was just like, whoa, you know, watching the Do the Right Thing, it definitely gave you a different perspective because I was older, I was in high school, I had a different view of the world at that point, but my whole life, I guess, I have um, been introduced to it, and so um, I I think I might be a little exception to the rules because of who my dad is, (laughs) he's like a huge into know your history so you can understand how it's impacting you now. So we watched a lot of movies about what was going on back in the day when he was growing up and stuff like that. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Well, shout out to dad. And so yes, Crystal, <laughs> Crystal, I mean, what makes a movie a black film? I mean, is the number of black actors, is it the lead actor, the director, the targeted fan base? What makes a film considered a black film? Well, at first, I would think that in my definition of a black movie, it would be not only, of course, the writer and director, but it would also be the topic. Um, what were they talking about? Was was the topic specific to black culture and uh, black Americans? And I quickly learned as just looking at, you know, when you when you click on Amazon Prime or you click on Netflix and you click on, oh, black cinema, it really is a gamut. It's basically like Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington has appeared in a variety of movies, and uh, Spike Lee really gave him his start, along with Samuel L. Jackson, um, you know, gave them their – their starting in lead roles. However, anything that he appeared in, Denzel, became a black movie or it was listed among those movies. So I had to like Philadelphia? Think, rethink that. Yeah. I mean, all those became black movies because it was Denzel. Wow. Or Out of Time, which is some of those movies, or Deja Vu of, of um, Denzel Washington which weren't necessarily black themes at all. It just so happened to be a movie where there there is a lead, you know, actor who is who is happened to be black. But the theme itself could have been anybody. It could have been black, could have been white, could have been Asian, could have been anybody in the, in those themes. But America has deemed any movie that has a lead or, of course, a theme that is black American, those are black movies. So so basically, if there's a black person in it, in a prominent role, <laughs> then it's a black movie. <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get that because I once remember when I had stars um, for a little bit and I was watching the Black Stars channel. And they had Die Hard listed on Black Black Stars. And I was like, okay, Reginald Vale Johnson was a main character, but this is not a Black Stars movie. Not in my opinion. You know. Right. But I I, I kind of I kinda want the best of both worlds though, because by classifying something as a black movie, it makes it easier for me to find certain types of movies when I search for them. But by the same token, I I want them to be mainstream so they can make the money as well because Kaya, I feel mm-hmm. like box office dollars are affected when it comes to black movies because they're not usually released on as many many screens as mainstream movies. I, I, I mean, how do you think we can remedy that? Do you think that we have to change the genre and get rid of black movies, quote unquote, and just have it be just a, an action movie or a thriller or whatever it is, or is it important to keep that designation? I I think that I think it should be kind of a both situation because I'm with you. Like I like the ease of being able to find it, and I actually think it's more important to 
like other people because it's almost like keeping it in that category is key to me because I think that like when you have a movie that's based on black experience, that's that's the difference to me. You know what I mean? Like Friday, okay. do the right thing. You have like so many different movies that are literally based in a black experience. And that to me more so categorizes a black movie, like a black film, black experience, what they're going through as black people a lot of the time. Um, especially when it's like an all black cast, you know, Black Panther even. I mean, that's like a black action movie to me. Like, I know it's Marvel, but it's like the content of that movie speaks so heavily to a lot of black people in America and across the world, of course. So I feel like it can they not coexist as mainstream black movies? You know what I mean? Like, why can't we have that? I mean, that's true. That's true. I feel like Black Panther was a way of, tricking white people into watching black people on screen almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it Absolutely. almost felt but that way. But I think way, that's the route to go. People were like, oh, wow. Like, they started to see black experience. Um, maybe the story was told in a way that they were able to, like, captivate them. They're like, oh, okay, this is this is different. Okay. But it's right in line with everything else you watch. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And okay, so Crystal, let's let's kind of start from the beginning here. And um let's start fifty years ago back in nineteen seventy, right? Fresh off the civil rights victory and black people are feeling good about themselves and Crystal was the black film industry back then a reflection of the black culture at the time or did the black culture adapt what was going on in the black film industry? Well, you know, actually, um, <clears throat> first, just to, to state that Black Panther was written by Stan Lee and was written by Jack Kirby in 1966. It's a comic strip, uh, part of the, you know, the Marvel comics. So when it came out now, it was just when they decided, oh, hey, let's do this, you know, <laughs> because, and actually, the Black Panthers, unless you were a part of that, you know, comic strip of of, of reading those, you know, those um, graphic novels, that you didn't even know who who Black Panther was, and and many other quote unquote black like Storm, and, you know, those kind of black characters within the the comic strip were was even you know realized, unless you were part of that already. You know, so there was probably plenty of of white people and blacks who were like, "Oh, I know who Black Panther is." You know, that was this is part of that genre or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. as far as you know, the 1970s, the 1970s um, and 60s brought out a lot of the um, black exploitation movies, and so you know they had the creation of the pimp, and you know, and the crime novels. And and all of that, and Shaft, you know, is a black man who was powerful, you know, and all, you know, were they part of just Hollywood creation or were they real? And this is kind of what black people struggle with even today. Some of our cliches, quote unquote, um, is it real or is it just something somebody just made up? A lot of it is real. But it's a part of our society that we don't want to deal with, or, or it's a cliche. It becomes a cliche. But then again, where does the cliche come from? It comes from something that happens over and over and over again in society and whatever society, and so that becomes your identity. So the pimp, the drug dealer, the prostitute, etc. Those because they they are real people within our society, okay. And so, just like with the Italians, to give an example, the mob, the Italian mafia coming from Sicily and all that, those are real people as a part of their society. Of course, they don't want to be known as just I'm not just a mafia person. I mean, everybody in my family are not mafia people. You know, but 
but that's how they look at it because that's what has been portrayed. So the same thing for blacks and other cultural, you know, races. We have been just kind of reduced to our cliché. So our cliché is the pimp, the drug dealer, the prostitute, the mama, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> the mama, the magical black person, you know, we are we are magical. We do things beyond, you know, if we're if we're, we're amazing, we're because we are witches or we're warlocks or we're we're this amazing, you know, spiritual creature who comes in and helps the white person out. So, you know, I, I go back and forth with that regarding which one is it? Because if you want to be honest with yourself, it is a part of our culture. It is a part of who we are. Mammy is a part of who we are. We went from mammy to mama. She was big mama. And in white mm-hmm. culture, she's mammy. And, and and I have to say that Mammy was not necessarily a a bad character, but she was mm-hmm. the character for the white children as not my mom, but Mammy. She was the one who took care of me, who nurtured yeah. me, who was there for me. And the same thing for blacks. Big Mama is the one who took care of all of us. And mm-hmm. and I don't think we should, you know, just dismiss them as horrible stereotypes and we're not like that. No, that is part of who we are. So even the magical part, <laughs> whatever, is really part of who we are. Because <laughs> it's part of our culture, uh, our religion that we brought that we didn't get to use, that we brought, you know, from Africa. So. Okay. Very good points there. Very good points. And, I mean, mm-hmm. some of the movies that stand out to me uh, from the 70s, like Superfly, um, Uptown, Saturday Night, which is a very popular movie. Let's see, Christine, uh, excuse me, Crystal mentioned Claudine already. I've never seen mm-hmm. that, but I've heard of it. Uh, James Earl Jones and Diane Carroll. Uh, let's do it again. No. The Mac uh, Shaft. You have not seen Claudine. You are not black. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to add it to I my list. I thought I told you this years ago. <laughs> not Claudine. No, not Claudine. You told me some other movies, but. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I've told you about Claudine. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm putting it out there. All right. Fox mm-hmm. Brown, Cleopatra Jones, Coffee, all the Pam Grier movies. I mean, all of that was a huge part of the 70s. Now, I don't know if that stuff was actually, I seriously doubt it was mainstream. Um, I'm pretty sure it only came to predominantly black areas as far as where you can view those. I don't know. I was still a baby in the 70s. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, they were very popular. And so, Kaya, let's fast forward to this previous decade of 2010 to 2020. Uh, you know, the photograph, uh, Get Out, well, the photograph is a new decade, but Get Out, uh, Chirac, Queen and Slim. Uh, it seems like back in the 70s, those movies were like art imitating life or vice versa. Uh, but these movies now seem to have a purpose beyond just entertaining us, as if they seem to more so have a message. Not to say the movies back in the day didn't, but the message seems to be kind of in the forefront today, especially when you look at something like Get Out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that a movie like Get Out was so, you know, uniquely done because it's a horror film, first of all. I mean, anybody that watched it would never want to be in that position. It's awful. You (laughs) would feel like you were waking up from a bad nightmare if you were living that. You know what I mean? I think that a lot of our black writers and like creators, they're just getting more creative with how they get that message out there. They're using like modern day issues that we're going through and and get out. You had the girl that was looking up, you know, the NCAA recruits and stuff like that. And he's like, how do I make this like every, every like black man's worst nightmare. And it's like, whoa. And I can remember watching that, going to theaters to watch that movie, and there were people who got up and left. Like, there were, you know, non-people of color who were getting up, walking out, because they were like, this is ridiculous. But, I mean, 
I feel like in that movie it was like a, made to be like a horror film, but for me it was just symbolism. Like, well, it doesn't have to be taken like that. It only has to be taken that literal if you want it to be that literal. But this definitely happens where people prey on these athletes and they look what they can get out of them, and essentially that's what that movie was, you know. You've got the way that the writers are trying to deliver their message now, I think, is in a more unique manner because we've seen a lot of ways, like you said, there's been a lot of, like, messages within movies. Now you're seeing them say, like, how can I give that something different? And that movie did amazing because it was like, this is what we needed. We needed a horror film that was actually horrendous and scary because I would never want to go through that. You know, that's horror to me for dang sure. And, you know, and you make a good point about it. There are some people I've heard say that they didn't think the movie was a horror film. And most of the people who have said that are people who weren't black that I've spoken to. Mm -hmm. And as Mm -hmm. a black man, when I put myself in that situation, that is absolutely terrifying. Okay. One of the creepiest things in that movie is when he went upstairs with the girl and all the white people downstairs were just listening you know, trying to hear what was going on upstairs. And it was completely quiet. It was just weird. It was a very weird movie. Mm-hmm. And I think black people got a lot more out of it from a horror perspective than maybe some other people may have. But um, 100%. Yeah, but, okay, so, so Crystal, uh, I mean, you can comment on, on that if you want, Crystal, but I do want to ask you about the 80s. Do you have a comment about any of that, first of all? Well, there's there's lots of um, messages that, of course, are sent out. You know, um, we were seeing more political movies being done or uh, movies that are based on reality, you know, true stories or what have you. But I do want to, I want to, I want to um, go back to horror because um, for several reasons. One, because I'm a horror fan. <laughs> I'm a reader uh-huh. and writer of of horror and thriller. And, of course, my favorite author is um, Stephen King. And um, Love him. There, when, you, when you think of Get Out, you know, Get Out on a man's, you know, um, horror of being, you know, in this relationship with this woman who was not – what she said she was, he was trapped, uh-huh. and he had to kind of break out of the situation. Um, this is a character-based novel and screenwriter of Jordan Peele, but there's there's been many horror movies based on just what's going on inside of your head. And I just quickly want to just um, bring up the Stephen King novel, Dolores Claiborne and being a woman mm-hmm. I have experienced the horror that she was going through. Now quickly this was a woman who was um abused by her husband and other mm-hmm. people. She was beaten, she was um you know, her self esteem was broken down and her daughter was um abused sexually by you know, her husband, who was actually her father, wasn't a stepfather, was an actual father. And she did in this movie was to protect her daughter. She decided, I have to kill him in order to stop him from, you know, hurting my daughter. And even though my daughter may hate me, she doesn't understand, she doesn't get it, but I have to do this in order to protect her, no matter what, what the cost, which in the movie, as you see in the book, you will see that it was a cost of her, you know, her daughter hating her for a while until she got old enough to understand what was happening. And uh, because, you know, she had blocked out a lot of the memories. So when you think about Get Out, this is exactly the same things that was happening inside of that movie. Of Yes, we have these white people who are trying to become, you know, um, not so much black, but to become powerful in whatever way they thought they could, because, you know, you're dealing with the whole Darwin idea of, of Africans being the original man. So if you really want Mm -hmm. the original power, you're going to have to go back to them. And that's why they chose the blacks to do. Now the horror of course is realizing 
this is actually happening with, you know, um, the Democrats or liberals, white liberals, mm-hmm. who were supposed to be on our mm-hmm. side, but they were using us, you know, for their own gain. Yes. So that's kind of what, yes. you know, Jordan Peele was putting all it. So it's all the horror of of what happens every day. And, and that's what I write in my books, the horror that happens every day that turns into something that on the other side you may look at as, well, if you break it down, it's just this normal thing that happens in every family or every, but it's, it's horrific. So that's what okay. true horror is. And, uh, you know, and I think that in a lot of black movies, not so much that now Jordan Peele did something that a lot of black writers didn't do or couldn't do because he had a platform already and money already. He did what he said, I'm going to write a horror movie and you can deal with that. Or you, you know, don't Mm -hmm. go, don't go watch it. And, you know, and because a lot of black writers, screenwriters have been said, "Eh, make it more comical. You know, yeah, you want to talk about all this stuff, but we're going to put it in, in, in the comedy category. Spike Lee was often put in the comedy category, even though if you look at Spike Lee's movies, it's horror. It's it's horrific of what's happening to these people. Exactly. So, yeah, so, but that's what you had to deal with in order to get your movie out there. Hopefully Jordan Peele is going to be the person who says, Okay, let's do this. And and other writers, black writers, will, you know, put out their stories that are not just comical but horrific, and say and dr- dramatic, and they say no, we're gonna we're gonna tell the story as it is. This is what happened, and yes, it's horrific. And I'm taking Tyler Perry out of this because the stuff <laughs> that he writes. I'm sorry. Maybe we'll get to this in a minute. I don't want to go into that, but. Yeah, it's it's his was just money grabbing crap, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I I also wanted to add in there as well that um, I think a lot of where the new age um, maybe has a slight advantage is that you know we have such access to the internet now. I mean, and even just like Twitter and Facebook, and you're able to see people's Reddit mm-hmm. like like now opinions of things. And you can just see people's experiences so much quicker than you ever could. You can, you know, there's a video every two seconds, there's YouTube, there's just so many things. So the amount of research that's available and resources that's available to these writers just to understand on a deeper level is more prominent now. You know what I mean? With the Internet being so big and so booming, they're able to see what people are experiencing and I feel like that automatically can turn a creative niche because if you're, you know, if you're creating a movie like, you know, Get Out and like the photograph, like a lot of the references are things that we see happening right now, but we see it so quick in real time because it's like, oh, there's a Twitter Twitter page or, oh, there's a Facebook video. Oh, there's an Instagram post. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's easy to catch us in that moment. Like, oh, that's literally Very happening. True right now in our society (laughs) we need to pay attention you know it's not so pushed back or like it may may have taken longer to get messages out um you know in the earlier years in the 60s and 70s now it's you know a quicker turnaround even that's a very good point very good point and i mean jordan peele to me uh for what he did with get out that was just nothing short of genius in my opinion and so many messages mm-hmm. in that movie. And if you haven't seen his um, his version of the Twilight Zone that's available on um, CBS All Access, it is very good. He has um, an episode in season one, episode three, with uh, Sanai Lathan. And um, it's an episode involving a mother trying to protect her son from a, a black mother trying to protect her son from a cop. And it is a very, very scary episode. It really is. And um, it's very uncomfortable. So, I mean, shouts out to, remember, props to Jordan Peele. But. All right, so if we go back to the 80s, um, Crystal, I think that the 80s were very important to black 
cinema, in my opinion. Not that the 70s or any other decade wasn't, but I think the 80s is where it really just kind of took off. Okay, that's where it kind of got introduced to mainstream, so to speak. But before I get to the movies in the mid to late 80s that kind of set things off and put black actors and black directors on the map, my question is what happened between 1980 and 1985? Because outside of Purple Rain, is there another relevant black movie that comes to mind for you between 1980 and 85? Well, okay. There was, yeah, there was was plenty. I mean, um, uh, there was A Soldier Story that came out in 1984. Um, Okay. There there was actually, um, I think a lot of Spike Lee's movie came out in the early 80s. You know, it was like um, 80, Color Purple. I think she's got it. She's got a habit, and, and um, that's like eighty-five, eighty-six. Color Purple's eighty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you're kind of saying what happened between those five years? Purple Rain came out in ninety in eighty-four. Um, of course, it was more of a um, as well as Soldier Story, but it was more of a um, you know, music movie. But then there was um. Beverly Hills Cop that came out in eighty four. But I think That's a there black was main Well, you know, it's um yeah, I <laughs> of mean, course it's had, a black you know, movie. You had forty eight hours, <laughs> you had you know, Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. the Toy, Bruce Bruce Millions. So I don't consider those black right. movies because they had one black person in it. Mm-hmm. Well, it was one major black person in it. <laughs> Oh, that's why it becomes A. Murphy is, 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 I mean, he always, and that was his whole thing, was he would, you know, kind of demonstrate the black male that you didn't get to see. You know, all these white people didn't, didn't really get to see this black, kind of black male, and he always made sure to demonstrate them in an honest way. Not necessarily, it was comical to us. I think more so to the white people because we knew what he was talking about in half of the stuff. But um, but I think between the um, the whole thing of black exploitation movies in the seventies and all that, and which were more power movies, you know, like Claudine and those kinds of movies, mm-hmm. Sidney Poitier and those, um, and those just in between, they kind of like well. Who are you guys? And what, what, I mean, is something new coming or are we just going to continue to do this? And, you know, a lot of black people, you know, went against, you know, the um, black exploitation movies. I mean, they didn't like it, even though they were great. Pam Greer, I mean, forget about it. I mean, she is amazing, but they didn't like it because they knew it is what it was, black exploitation, literally. So... It, it didn't take until, you know, other types of movies, which was the comedy movies that came out, and they okay. were like, okay, well, this is close to what we're talking about. This is different. This is something new, and let's do that. And I think a lot of the stuff that came out was actually on TV as well and not necessarily in the movies. So there's a lot of TV stuff that came out uh, that, you know, maybe we didn't think about Shaft. You know, that's kind of started in the TV. That was not a movie until, you know, the TV um, stuff that came out. So, yeah, I think that's what happened. I mean, Hollywood is all about money. If you're going to watch and they have to fill out who's watching, who's not watching, and that's what we're going to go for. I mean, I, I feel think like they that, just didn't account for black people going to the movies. <laughs> like, we would have went and seen these movies. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like Hollywood made a pivot because we had so much momentum in the late 70s with, with Which Way Is Up, um, Roots, uh-huh. The Wiz. And uh-huh. then there was like Purple Rain, and then you mentioned a soldier story. That's a good one. But then you had the movies where, like you said, you may have a black lead. Um, you know, Richard Pryor had a ton of movies with, you know, Stir Crazy um, as one. And then um, Eddie Murphy had his movies with Beverly Hills Cops and First 48, well, uh, 48 Hours, rather. 
But it seems like mm-hmm. the predominantly black cast went away for a while. And then here comes 1985, and we get Color Purple. She's got to have it. In 88, you get School Days, Coming to America, I'm Going to Get You Sucker, uh, Hollywood Shuffle. 89, we get Do the Right Thing, Harlem Nights. Um, some people consider Glory a black movie. Some people don't. I don't know how you all feel about it. Um, but to me, the late 80s, I think, with the the emergence of Spike Lee as a director, um, really kind of gave black people some momentum. And, Kayo, I mean, do you feel is that, if you had to look back on history, is that where the, I guess, resurgence of black cinema um, happened maybe in the late 80s, early 90s? Because it seemed like in the early 80s it kind of went away a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I noticed that, you know, The Color Purple is a movie that, you know, I've seen a million and one times, happily. But I feel like at that point, that was like 85. It just seemed like it started to trailblaze black movies from that point forward, like tons and tons and tons of movies. They weren't all, you know, box office, you know, huge box office movies, but I mean, I definitely saw all these movies. I would rent them from Blockbuster back in the day when <laughs> those thing. And um, we used to sit down as a family and watch those because, again, it's a black experience. And I, I feel like growing up, we had wished a lot of those movies were in mainstream theater because we would have loved to go as a family to watch a lot of that, but they just weren't. They weren't ever, I mean, some of them were, but not. I'm from a very small town in Mississippi, so where I was from out there, it really wasn't, you know, movies like that in our theater. They had one theater mm-hmm. in our whole city, and just never, those movies never came to us. So if I wanted to see a lot of black films, I had to go to the movie store and, like, hope that it was there and rent it because Internet really wasn't a thing at my house until later to see it online. But I think that's where the trailblaze came through, was the later 80s for sure. And I think that's where we kind of regained some momentum. And um, and, and, and Do the Right Thing was such um, a big movie, uh, I mean, for me especially. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, here it is, what, 31 years later, and that movie is still relevant with what's going on today with black people getting choked out by the police. You know, yeah. and I remember watching that movie. I was a teenager when I saw that movie, and I saw it in the theater. And that's the first time I can remember that I ever allowed myself to cry in public when they killed Radio mm-hmm. Ryan. Because it was mainly because I was angry and I didn't understand. I mean, there was so mm-hmm. much that happened in that movie that I didn't understand until later in life. And I mean, for those of you who may be confused about the the protesting going on and I know people have been concerned about the riots and the vandalism and things of that nature. Go watch do the right thing. And you'll see how just countless acts of frustration, things that frustrate you can build up to a point that people just break, you know? And Mm -hmm. I just think that movie was very powerful. I was very upset when I left that movie and it took a lot of years to, to kind of figure out exactly what I was seeing because I was so young at the time. And um, I'm in Mississippi as well, Kaya. So oh, hey. some of the things. Shout that, out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in Jackson. <laughs> and some of the oh, things okay. that I saw in that movie, I was thinking, like, you know, was kind of exclusive to the South. I'm like, I said, they do this type of stuff up north, you know, in New York. I thought. Black people had it made mm-hmm. up north. You know? I mean, I was ignorant to a lot of things, mm-hmm. and I, it really took that movie to kind of turn me around on a certain thing. That and um, and Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet, uh, but that's another that's another show. But <laughs> so um, here come the '90s and the 2000s. Okay, and um, Kaya, some of the movies that came out in those two decades were were really good, and they had really great acting, really great storylines. Uh, like, and if I know some of your favorites you had mentioned to me in an earlier conversation. Uh, you had Juice mm-hmm. in 1992. You had The Wood in 1999. Yep. And Brown Sugar in mm-hmm. 2002. 
why are some of those movies um, like some of the ones that stand out to you? Well, Juice was just such a real movie. I mean, um, I grew up in Columbus, Mississippi, and so my experience was very suburban, um, fortunately, that, like, I didn't really experience a lot of the struggles that were portrayed in that movie, but it gave me a whole new respect, like, wow, for going through this, like, in their day-to-day lives. Now, like, I was homeschooled and a little bit of time I went to private school, things like that, but that movie just gives you so much compassion and, like, realness and understanding, like, how people's environments play a key role and how they act, how they react to situations. It's just a, mm-hmm. a different perspective on black experience in the world, you know. Um, I watched it with a, a guy that I was dating for the first time when I was in high school, and it just, like, it moved me to tears because, you know, Pac's character was so iconic and, you know, just how he shot his friend. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, what? You know, but happily to understand and to just view it on a different spectrum. I thought it was uh, beautifully portrayed, uh, you know, as as, as uh, wild as that movie is, I thought, man, you can learn a lot if you just watch this movie and just with an open heart, an open mind, you know, to understand what they're trying to say, what message they're trying to get across, Um and then with the wood, that was more of lighthearted. I thought it was just cute. It was fun. Uh, I love the aspect of, you know, marriage and, like, family and, you know, the, the men's struggle and the women's struggle and them going back and forth trying to figure out what, what they do, you know, the day before marriage and stuff like that. I mean, so many aspects of that movie spoke to me as him saying he was from North Carolina and moved from one side of the country to the other having to adjust, having to make new friends. I love every aspect of the wood. It, it's a lighthearted film, so that's always, like, one of those easygoing ones. You know what I mean? Can, you can throw that on around anybody. Um, and then with Brown Sugar, that movie always just touches my heart because it's that whole conversation, when did you first fall in love with hip-hop? I'm like, ah, the two friends who just can't seem to get it right. <laughs> Almost like if anyone's <laughs> ever heard of, like, Twin Flames and, uh, like, spiritual conversation, they they just kept missing each other. And that seemed to be what was happening with them. And I always thought that it was beautifully portrayed on screen. And so they finally were like, we're just going to give in. We like each other. <laughs> we liked each other this whole time. We've loved each other. I like right. the black love. Because a lot of the, the movies that we have are violent, you know, um, impactful movies can be harsh. You know, slave movies can be harsh to just see that content repeatedly. So I like when a movie portrays us in positive roles. It has finales and as a strong black woman who was career-focused, career-driven. You had Tay Diggs who was, you know, trying to do his thing and build his company. He stepped away from something that he felt like took away his integrity in order to build something that he took his integrity back. Like I love the underlying messages within Brown Sugar, especially as a person who's semi in the process of doing that now. Uh, I just rewatched that movie like three weeks ago and it resonated just as much now as it did back in 02 when I first watched it. And I mean, even more so. Okay. All right. And Crystal, I think something that the late 90s and 2000s kind of brought, really brought to the to the scene when it came to black movies is that we could have romantic comedies, you know. You can have a movie that featured the friendships that they displayed in the wood. Um, you can have love stories like Jason's Lyric and, and Love and Basketball. And I think that some of those movies are the ones that kind of get lost that I think almost anyone of any color can enjoy if they gave it a chance. And maybe if it wasn't labeled as a black movie, but I mean, don't you think the late nineties and early two thousands is when we really started seeing some of these romantic comedies kind of come to fruition? Well, yeah, of course not that many, but yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, I definitely, you know, was listening to her speak about um, some of the movies like Juice 
And I was thinking about the movies that um, came, that spoke more directly to me in my um, young adulthood was Boys to Men, New Jack City, um, even Friday, you know, Mm -hmm. Boy Justice on the early 90s, um, and, you know, Love Jones. Uh, Love Jones was an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just pure love, love, and that was all it was about. It was nobody killing each other like what I experienced in Minister Society. These are all my reality TV movies, mm-hmm. quite frankly. I mean, all these niggas were my. These are the people I hung around and grew up with, and I understand their pain. I mean, quite frankly, I mean seriously, these these. I mean, yes. juice. I mean, I was like, yeah, that's that motherfucker over there. I remember that nigga right there. But those right. are all the kind of people, you know, and Friday, Friday was the comical oh, yeah. or, the, you know, the laughing yeah. part of those guys. They were the mm-hmm. same people I grew up with. But when I saw um, even Poetic Justice, when um, yeah. I, I, I was very, the Janet Jackson character, I understood her because I had gone through that, literally, I you know, someone who had died and who was my fiancé, and then he was, you know, there he is, he's dead, but, and then, you know, you kind of, how can I move on? And then, you know, she does. But in Love Jones, um, <clears throat> here are two people who are successful in their own right. You know, they were, you know, you know, the writer, and, and you know, she was trying to be a producer. I mean, these these are love stories that happen all the time, you know, and but they're not talked about. Boomerang in 1992, um, just, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people said, oh, that's a fantasy. But um, I'm sure there's a lot of people in Atlanta who are like, that's not a fantasy. That's what we do every day. But, you know, there's plenty of black people who are successful who have these kinds yes. of, you know, experiences. Now, moving on to the end of the, you know, 1990s, Sprung, Sprung, um, which I totally uh, I loved that. as a, uh-huh. yeah, I totally loved that movie um, <clears throat> because, you know, it has Paula Jai uh, Parker, who is like a woman who is not nowhere near um, recognized enough um, in her. She was in the movie, um, what was it, um, uh, oh God, I can't remember what. The, oh, get now just went out of my head. But anyway, she she's an amazing actress, <laughs> and you know Tisha Campbell, of course. And you know we had these these guys, these people in this movie who it was literally just a love story about, but it was it was centered in black culture, uh-huh. and it was a comedy, but it was also about. We're just going to be like, and, and one of the um, lines in that movie was, you know, she he was he was a writer, one of the main characters, and he was saying, "I'm writing a love story. It's going to be about, you know, two people who who meet, and they fall in love, and everything's great, you know." And she's like, mm-hmm. "What? There's no killing. There's no gangs. There's no." And he was like, "No, it's just about you know a couple." And he was like, "You ain't gonna make no money." <laughs> because mm. nobody's gonna watch it because there's no killing right. or anything. But, yeah. but what was hilarious because that is the deal in black movies is that we have to have and hey, rest in peace, you know, John Singleton, totally love his movies. Uh-huh. You know, Spike Lee, who is, you know, our godfather of movies and um and all of that and they talked about a specific part of black America, but hey, what if we just people just kind of, I meet him? You know, why can I be Harry meet Sally? Why can I be that? And so it's that type right. of movie where we, we need more of those types of movies. And and actually, this movie was made, what, in 1997? And I haven't found until now, what is the photograph, that you have movies where yeah, they just they happen to be black, and they fall in love or whatever. You know, they have a date. You know, it's no big deal. 
but but yeah, it's hard for us to to get out of that, you know. Even set it off, which I thought had a really good love story, you know, I love within that. it. Yeah, I know. We were all like, with the whole we fell in love. <laughs> but then, guess what? Okay, she has to leave and go to Mexico, and everything is everybody's mm-hmm. dead. So I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. But I think we as black people need to write more stories that are, or actually, I think we do write those stories, but they don't get published. They don't get put out there. Um, because white people who are probably, you know, running the show and giving us the money are like, no, nah, they're not going to be into that. Hey, why don't, you, why don't you go review one of those Tyler Perry movies and make it more like that, you know? <laughs> you yes. know, that would be interesting. Yes. You people well, love that you, stuff. You know? And it's you. like, what? <laughs> I don't love it, but I get where people would love it. But, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So. Yeah. Well, so you the mentioned 90s Tyler kind Perry. of. Mhm. <laughs> you, you mentioned Tyler Perry, and uh, yeah, the, the the 90s were great. I mean, they had so many cornerstone type of movies that you can really. I mean, to me, New Jack City really kind of, you know, put our culture in the forefront um, as far as, and then as far as, you know, I guess the urban lifestyle and some of the inner cities, it really kind of put that in the spotlight. And uh, that was a great movie from the 90s. But, yeah, so let, let, we transition to the Tyler Perry movies, which these movies are designed to be fun, be comical. Um, they're supposed to teach life lessons. And, you know, I, I guess that depends on the person. Uh, I have nothing against these movies. To me, Tyler Perry movies are like, God, it's going to sound awkward, but they're like black exploitation movies of modern day, in my opinion. They have their purpose, mm-hmm. but they're not taken seriously, you know, and in any regard. And um, I, I mean, Crystal, you started on it. I mean, how do you feel about Tyler Perry and his movies? I mean, do you do you respect the work at all that he's done? Or as a writer, I respect his work just on that level of getting your work out there. Okay, and because we all know he started as a um, a playwright. Okay, so when you write a play, you um, you have to project to the end of the arena. <laughs> so you you have to make your your actors act it out. So the people in the far you know reaches of the theater can understand what you're saying and what you're doing, you know. So you have to be more dramatic. And that's where he started, which I get. Now, he moved into movies, okay. So he he literally took his movies, his uh, plays, and turned them into movies. He didn't adjust the projection (laughs) to the end of the theater and – because you know when you're when you're listening you know at a movie theater you're like okay I can hear you it's it's very loud I get it it's coming from all sides of me I don't need any you know I don't need you to do I just need you to subtly you know make a, a reference or have your eye look in a different direction it has to be more subtle but I can feel it but he didn't do that he made it exactly the same way and then as he continued into TV and etc. But he said himself recently that the reason why he does that is because he knows his audience. And he knows that that's what they like. And he's going to continue to do it the way they like it because it works. And on the one hand, as a consumer... I'm like, okay, I get it, you know, you know, as a producer or moneymaker person, I can say, yeah, I get it. Why fuck with the formula? I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. As a writer and as a creator, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought, I thought you were supposed to be creating work for, you know, the people. Tone it down a little bit so I can really Man, that man created $600 million. Exactly. So where is this woman coming from? So you want, when you go from movies 
um, you know, into, or you go to plays, into movies or whatever, I want to know where is this person coming from? Why is she acting like this? Why are all the people women? Why are all the heroes women and the men are villains? Why is that? Where is that coming from? You know, so anyway, but he doesn't care about that. (laughs) The one movie Tyler Perry has, I don't want to say one, I mean, the one that I can remember that resonated with me being the the male was the hero was Daddy's Little Girls when he uh, went after his kids. And I said, shout out, because so many people paint um black men to be non-present in their children's lives. And I think we know a lot of it can be systematic because we've done, you know, petty charges lead you to jail and you're in jail for mm-hmm. weeds or like ever and you shouldn't be and then your family's broken and the mom's having to work to play the role with two people and stuff like that. But I love right. that in that movie it was about his kids. And, I mean, as me having a wonderful relationship with my dad, I appreciate when they put that type of stuff on film because more people need to see situations like that. Tyler Perry, his movies, they just, they're always so, so, so dramatic of um, black relationships, very heavily critical of black relationships sometimes um, within our own community. And maybe that could be seen as a little critical to us as black people. Because it's like, why are you being so critical of us? There's how many people doing this? <laughs> you know what I mean? But maybe sometimes we need just a little bit of that. Maybe not to the magnitude Tyler does it, but I, <laughs> I, I fall in the middle between necessary and then, like, fall the way off the deep end sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I respect what he's done as far as money and the opportunity he's afforded mm-hmm. others. Uh, and sometimes he gets a bad rap, and then sometimes he brings it on himself. When he, uh, yeah. What was the last thing he did where they had, like, the $3 wigs everybody was wearing? Um, I can't even think of what, <laughs> what the movie was. But they had these horrible Halloween wigs that they got from Party City. Everybody in the movie was wearing. It was just terrible. I can't think of the movie. It but um, Not the Medea family funeral. Are you talking about – what was the last one he did? Um, what? Oh, jeez. I can't, I can't even think of it right now. But, yeah. Um, yeah, people were talking about – oh, Fall from Grace. A Fall from Grace had an, oppor- yeah, yeah. had an opportunity to be a really good story, and um, but then it went kind of whack. Like, how in the uh-huh. hell are you going to hit somebody with a baseball bat about five damn times and then, oh, oops, they turn up later alive and well? I don't think so. It's like biology. This motherfucker was dead on the first <laughs> fucking hit. In the, you know, what the fuck? So anyway, but yes, uh, Fall from Grace, um, yeah. <laughs> and see, and that's why I kind of compare him to black exploitation movies from the 70s because – there are certain nuances in these movies that are missed. Um, you know, like someone will be upstairs wearing a robe and socks, but then when they the next scene when they come downstairs, they're barefooted. You know, or there's no robe. Or, yeah. Or, and it's almost like the Dolomite movies from back in the day where Dolomite will kill someone at the beginning of the movie, but then they're playing another <laughs> role later in the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. No, you didn't conjure up Dolomite. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys feel about the Talk remake about of that? Ridiculous. Way down in the jungle. Uh, well, you know what? You you know what? Actually, that was a good movie. That was a I good movie. It. I thought I it was phenomenal. It. Yeah, I, I really loved it about the actual man because that actually talked about how he had to create a character, which is what a lot of black um, writers and directors and all this, they create characters who have absolutely nothing to do with who they really are, but it is a stereotype that they put out there. That was a really good movie. Yeah. Probably better to me, personally, than actually Dolomite. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, people do relate to that back in the, what, the 70s or whatever, um, the Dolomite character. Yeah. 
And so we'll get ready to wrap things up. I mean, yeah, it's just so much to talk about regard in regards to these movies. There's so many movies um, from black cinema over the last 50 years. And, and I, and we, I know we, we mentioned like the, the color purple and, and roots, and there are a ton of movies involving slavery and civil rights uh, that are important and that people probably need to watch uh, from things as recent as Selma or going back to Rosewood. You know, there, there are plenty of movies. Um, you have movies like uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, let's see, Hidden Figures. I thought Hidden Figures was a very good movie, even though it wasn't completely factual, but it was still a a good movie. And there are movies Positive that are painful messages. to Yes, yes. There are movies that are kind of painful to watch, like The Hate You Give. And I haven't mm-hmm. brought myself to watch that movie yet, you know. And um so they're just a ton of movies and some of them carry a message. Some of them are just movies where you could have, you know, inserted any race of actor in it and it would have been the same thing, you know? And so I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up. And Kaya, um, I mean, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do the show. Tell the people about your podcast and where people can find it and connect with you on social media, first of all. Oh, absolutely. I want to say thank you so much for having me. This has been an awesome experience. I'm a huge movie fan, so this is really fun to chat about. But my podcast is called Eyes Wide Open. It is available on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. But it's about spirituality, enlightenment, um, healing. I offer a lot of resources that people can use to heal themselves. And I'm just a person. I've gone through um, different things in my life, different experiences in my life, and I'm sharing some of the things I've gone through. But um, future episodes, more episodes, I plan to bring on different people's testimonies to talk about it because, I feel like we learn a lot about one another uh, in the world whenever we hear what people have gone through and why they've chosen the the faiths and the spiritual uh, journeys that they've chosen. You get to hear what people have gone through and what makes people who they are right now. So you guys check me out. It's Eyes Wide Open Podcast, available on all those platforms. And then anybody can follow me on my social medias. It's at V-O-N-K-I-A-H. All right, that's what's up. And I appreciate you taking the time to join the show. And Crystal, let the people know about you and the millions of things that you do. <laughs> well, um, as far as where they can find me, my podcast is The Crystal Show. And all you have to do is just type that in and um, wherever you listen to your podcast and it'll come up. And it has all of the different podcasts that I have created through the um, the Crystal Show. Um, I do plan on getting that back going again because I currently have been really pissed off. Right. And I just want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I have a <laughs> I have a new website called uh, SaveMyself.org, and it is a platform where after a person has gone through um, drug addiction, uh, physical abuse, um, grief, um, sexual abuse, rape, and those kinds of things, just whatever trauma in life, because in the end of your of your struggle um, with an agency and, you know, dealing with it, they'll leave you with, okay, now it's up to you. <laughs> so this is um, this you know, kind of vision of my own because of my own things that I've gone through in my life is about um, saving yourself. So it's called SaveMyself.org, and now it's up to me to um, do better for for myself. How do I do that? Well, I do that by, you know, making a change in my life, and that's one of the hardest things for um, people to do. So um, that's, you know, I've started that in order to kind of support that goal for people. And um, 
But, yeah, you can find everything you need to know at Crystal Hickerson, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, Hickerson.com, which will have my books that I've written, my novels, and um, wherever you can find my radio show and the other platforms that I'm on. And check me out. I'm very active on Facebook and on Twitter. So I'm not very active on Instagram. I try to be, but... I never know what to post. <laughs> I don't know. I so anyway, I'm really, I'm really good on Instagram. I do what works for me. Instagram and Facebook work mm-hmm. for me. So that's where I am. And um, so, yeah, so they can check me out there. And I, I thank you so much, uh, Quincy, for um, bringing this topic up because, you know, I'm a total movie buff. I've listened, I've, you know, watched every movie probably ever created almost and um <laughs> and I love talking about it. there's so many there's so many movies I can go on and on and on and on and about movies but but yeah so I'm glad that you um invited me to your show all right well I definitely appreciate the both of you uh there's so much that was left on the table that I mean we could have discussed regarding black films I I mean, black celebrities, black actors not getting nominated for, um, you know, playing great roles. Uh, There are plenty of straight-to-DVD movies that a lot of people have never heard of that could have been mentioned. Uh, I know Crystal brought one to my attention recently recently called Mississippi Damned, and I had never heard of that movie before. And the director, uh, Tina Mabry, is a native of Tupelo, Mississippi. And uh, so that's a movie I plan to add to my list to try to watch. Um, and there are a ton of other movies that never get released. Um, yeah, released to, to the theaters that we end up missing, but they end up being a great, great movie. So, I mean, so many things we could have touched on, but, um, I appreciate you all taking the time and, and being patient with me. I've been kind of out of sorts as of late, you know, so much going on in society and it Mm -hmm. just, you know, it weighs people down and it just keeps you from having your focus. So. Uh, thanks to the two of you for being a little patient with me. I was kind of jumping around a little bit tonight and not my normal self, but I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to get back on track for sure. And uh, But that's going to be it. And that's going to do it for this T2Q podcast. Go to TalkToQ.com, and that way you can sign up for the email newsletter and be alerted to new shows as they come out. I'm on Twitter at talk to q and that's Talk, the number two Q. So I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast of T2Q, and I'll see you next time.